um, Akinola Senin, I really appreciate you doing this, uh, joining the podcast today. Um, these are some of my favorite podcasts to do where, you know, I've, I've been since I was in high school, been playing steel drums and, um, started meeting folks from Trinidad when I was in high school. I met Cliff Alexis for the very first time. Um, and now that I'm 43, I really am starting to love to just talk to people who have been in this from birth and get to know them and sort of hear their story. Uh, and I'm curious, um, just if, if it's okay to start with like baby Akinola, like what, where are you from? What got you into doing steel painting? And we'll sort of, we'll sort of branch out from there. I have a lot of questions about your educational program with the Cipria Deltones. And, um, that was sort of what prompted me to reach out to you because education is a big thing for me, but we'll get to that. But can you just start with, with baby, the baby version of you, what got you into doing what you're doing? Oh, this will, um, I mean, first I'm, as soon as I extend my, um, you know, heart home feelings about you know, being here today with you on the podcast and sharing in any way that I can. And I think, you know, once anything that I shared, you know, would have, you know, fostered any kind of uh, positivity for you and uh, the listeners. No one then thought, you know, um, the podcast would not have been in the game. So, um, I think some as early as age five, you know, my parents, you know, Barry, Stuart, Andrew Senon, you know, um, enrolled me and all my siblings to the community art school. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a school of the art. You know, Ashford Joseph, you know, he's was like this blind um, musician, artist, educator that had an art school in Safaria. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so many people came out of that school and came from under his tuition that um, are internationally recognized, you know, inclusive Marshall Montano and others. Mm. I mean, and at this school, um, I would have done cultural guitar, keyboard. And um, it wasn't until like the age of uh, eight years old, mm-hmm. nine years old, between eight and nine, um, I started doing steel pan at my um, primary school, <coughs> um, Supplier Boys RC. Under the tuition of um, Mr. Roland jo- Moose Joseph. You know, Mr. Roland Moose Joseph happens to be the son of, of one of the founders of the Joseph Stylist Knights. Mm-hmm. So, um, basically, how I got into you know, the entire thing, um, my father you know, was a draftsman architect by um, profession. You know, he was also a, a community activist. Um, Deeply into agriculture as well. Hmm. Wait, so, so pardon me if I interrupt. I just like as you're talking, I'm so like I'm so curious to to uh, have questions. So uh, please, I, I'm not trying to interrupt, but you said your dad was an architect. Yeah, and uh, and a community activist. Um, when I hear that, I you know I've known a few architects, and you know that's an art. And I'm curious, like, um, 
how did that sort was he did what was that like being in the, in the house with an architect like what what kind of stuff was he talking about uh in terms of like just his life and like what was it like being in a house with an architect well i mean architectural design architectural structure architectural colors architectural composition architectural pr and marketing architectures architectures heritage architectures education I mean, so pretty much I just describe everything what music is by seeing what architecture is. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing is um, an architecture, or at least a piece, it's when, 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 when they do it, it's, it's basically, <clears throat> it's, 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 it's constant. You know, the, the line doesn't move. You know, and once once they do that bang, I speak like that, you know, till the end of time. You know, but um the only thing with music, the line, that said line takes all kind of different shapes and forms. So I mean my my other teacher who's who's my teacher, mentor who's also an architect, two of them, Mr. Clyde Zander and, and Mr. Carlton Zander. Mm-hmm. I remember Zander saying one time that um Architecture is like frozen music. You know, architecture is basically frozen music. Mm-hmm. And I think another hmm. thing I just want that, to say that again. Okay. So you said ar- architecture is frozen music. Yeah. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to say that. Sorry. Go ahead. I think one of the um, parallel relationships of architecture and steel band now is that. I mean, be, besides the architecture being an art, architecture is definitely a social science. How so? And yeah, um, architecture is a social science because this architecture is about engaging in this facet of human existence from an infrastructural and environmental standpoint, but but being influenced by people and space and time and economics and politics. A line a line isn't drawn from just a artistic exploration standpoint. But a, a line is drawn in architecture because of so many factors that have nothing to do with art, that has to do with time and space and economics and as best said, politics and heritage and food mm-hmm. and, and fashion. <laughs> All these yeah. things are factors that go into the drawing of one simple line, mm. you know, for a building or for a site or for some sort of environmental development. So architecture is definitely a social science. <coughs> and steel ban, and the role of steel ban in society, you know, from the inception, was highly something social. It's, mm. 
it's something social that is at its epicenter and foundation, the art. But it's, it, 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 it's highly something social. You know, and that's, that's one of the great, I would say, parallel relationships with both fields. But I mean, apart from the architect, as I say, my father was also deeply into um, agriculture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agriculture. So, you know, we, we, we grew up as an agricultural family. family. What, in particular, what in particular were you farming or, or uh, what agriculture were you a part of? Everything, poultry, uh, livestock, uh, vegetables, fruits, everything. Hmm. I mean, I grew up. I grew up in Midwest or sort of like northeastern Ohio, um, basically in the middle of a cornfield, um, and that that area has changed drastically as I grew up. But um, you know, there was a strawberry farm down the street that we would go and, and work at and fill things for five cents a quart and. Um, you know, I just knew farming was a big thing when I, when I was growing up. Um, and so I, again, just sort of, there's a, an odd parallel there, but like you mentioned too, that your dad was a community activist. And when I think of the steel band, when I think of, when I think of architecture, um, it, like in New York right now, the politics around, yes, you're building a building, but there's, who are you displacing by building that building? You know, and in New York, that's a real, real issue right now. Um, but I'm curious in terms of the community activism, what, um, where, how was your dad involved with that? Well, I think the structure of many communities in Trinidad, they have these um, community groups, you know, like action groups that is geared towards um, general community development. So they would lobby with the government to get better roads, to get playgrounds, to get better, general better infrastructure and to improve on the space and the improve on the lives of the inhabitants of the space. Mm-hmm. And um, in our community, which is uh, it's in our village, which is a village called Queenham, um, which is um, one of the largest villages located in the community of Separia. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my father would have been the president of this um, community improvement action group for a number of years. So, you know, growing up, and, you know, the meetings happening at our house, the fundraisers happening at our house, and my father on the phone arguing with this one, the other one debating, lobbying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, it was a normal thing to me. So mm. even with me transferring over into Deltons, which my father was the manager for quite a number of years as well, um, you know, playing my role, in Belton, you know, which has, you know, uh, as a facet of this community activism, you know, it was very natural and organic. And I, I didn't have, even have to try to do it because it's natural. I, I, mm. I, I saw my father doing that every day. I mean, that's a part of the part of, you know, where I'm, if I'm just sort of calling balls and strikes here, like the thing that I'm jealous of, is like, I got, I sort of became aware of politics and sort of activism later on in my life and sort of figuring out them. And also just the millions of ways that activism can take shape um, and how you can best affect and affect change in a community. Um, you know, your dad and, and you, I don't want to sort of say that you haven't experienced this too, but your dad was, a, was around during when the time when Trinidad gained its independence from Great Britain. And, you know, and we're, we're 
political movements like the PNM with Dr. Eric Williams, um, consciously making a relationship with steel bands as a way to get votes and, and push a political agenda as well as hopefully support the steel band world. And that, again, that happened for better, for better or worse in, in, in many respects. But I'm curious, like, did, did he talk much about that? And, and pardon my ignorance of the political landscape in Trinidad. I really only am aware of Dr. Eric Williams and the PNM and sort of some of that general history. But um, can you just uh, uh, talk a bit, bit about that, like uh, what that environment was like? Um, to be quite honest, I don't think my dad thought of all of that in a deep way like that. Mm. I think he was just in his own simple way, predominantly trying to improve the spaces children is growing up in. I think for him, it was basically that. Mm. So connecting it back to, you know, that deep into... I would say the political process and movement coming from independence into the Republican state and then forth. I don't think he thought of any other stuff in, in a deep way hmm. or, or the science of, you know, black power and steel band. But I must say that I myself, you know, as I feel that I spend a lot of time investigating, you know, through, you know, a lot of mentors that I had. I was, was privileged and blessed to be it, you know, but so I am able to speak about the topic, you know, from my perspective, but it definitely didn't come from a standpoint of, um, from in my house to see. Hmm. You know, um, the, the steel band definitely came at a point in time where the enslaved person people were still finding back that voice. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be enslaved means that you lost your voice, you lost your identity, you lost your rhythm. Mm-hmm. And in plain words, you were dehumanized. Mm-hmm. And now that emancipation came, whether this emancipation was a myth or not, but emancipation came, a man would now have this yearning to return to self. And in returning to self, man will want to return to culture. Mm-hmm. You know, man definitely will want to return to culture. So after... A series of common years of interactions and integrate, that return to self will now take a new look mm-hmm. as it... As, as, it, as, it, as it looked before, you know, um, in the motherland Africa. Mm-hmm. And that return to self would also be influenced by so many other factors, geographical and otherwise. And one of these, the expressions that came about as a result of man wanting to return to self is steel pan. Mm-hmm. People see steel pan as... You know, well, I was pointing up some chestnut and beat up some old thing, and and they knock it up, and then they realize notes come, and they make sure they make fun, and nah, never. It's the man returning to himself is the man wanting to reclaim that genetic DNA.
and then from jump to the camel. But <clears throat> I think that from a political standpoint, if I to comment on that briefly, which you kind of pointed towards, I think the political powers that we saw the power of the steel power. I mean, remember Eric Williams once was deemed the, um, the smartest human being in the whole world by the kind of which university was one of them. I mean, the, that information is in the public domain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was not smartest, sorry. He was one of the most intelligent man on earth. <clears throat> By whatever you rubric they use, they 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 um he, he, um he won he won to the seal of uh, other competitors. We definitely would have seen been able to analyze that which is the steel pan and, and that which it represents and and um the role it was to play. Well, can you um, can you I'm, go ahead? Go ahead, please. I must say though that I, I kind of felt like at some point in time. <laughs> The implementation of the steampunk organization and its, its mission and vision, you know, to some degree subdued the greatness of the thing as, as to where it should have gone and where and the direction it should have pointed towards. You know, to me, the steampunk definitely should have been that tool or should still be that tool that has the ability to bring economic freedom to that, that who is the sons of enslavement that came here so much, so much a hundred years ago. I think it's still, and should have been, should be that tool. And I think a lot of people know that the steel pan has that ability, you know? So, you know, creating that mo- Module that is centered and focused around certain things, even plays on the passion of the steampunk men, you know, so that real, real evolution, you know, is is fostered at the rate that it, that it should be. Mm-hmm. Can I'm going to ask? Uh, sorry, I swear, I'm sorry. This is sort of like such a random sort of conversation already, but uh, we'll get back to your family in a second. But like. As a kid growing up in Ohio and learning about steel drum pre-internet, there was no, like, the only way I could hear about soca music or Boogsy Sharp or Ellie Minette was to either physically go see them or find a random CD that someone had burned for me, you know. And I learned about the steel band history sort of piecemeal and am learning now how much I maybe misunderstood or misinterpreted. Can you just explain to me for two seconds what you know enslaved people were all over the world and all over the caribbean and in the united states but why why specifically trinidad and to me i feel like i have an obvious answer but i want to hear it from you why why didn't the steel drum come out of like morocco or why didn't it come out of south carolina or barbados or saint lucia not that there weren't steel there weren't other musical things happening there but like what what was unique to Trinidad? What was happening in Trinidad at the time that really made the steel ban an inevitable sort of result? Well, I, I think, I think to say mostly that 
And this may be irrational to some, but but firstly, I must say, is is destiny, is the, is the is the will of the Creator. In his, in his beyond capacity, you know, of, of, of the master planner of all events that take place below the sun. But with that being said, I think these factors were there to allow for a steel plant to be built in Trinidad in his infinite wisdom. One, the drum itself being an orator of the story of the enslaved that came here. Two, the enslaved had high, high, high levels of knowledge regarding mending steel. Three, there was steel available in, in a waste capacity in Trinidad with the U.S. Navy DNA and all that kind of thing. Um, oh, I think some of the more prosperous plantations of the region, you know, somewhat came out of Trinidad. You know, Trinidad definitely would have been um, ahead of the, re the, the, the region somewhat, you know, from an economic standpoint because of the... Um, plantations were here. So there, to me, there's a, there's a lot of historic, political, artistic, cultural, geographical, economical factors. And when all amalgamated, you know, creates a, a very good reasoning. <laughs> that the steel pan would have debuted. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are many other angles to think of, it, but that's that's one that um, came to mind for me. No, I mean, I I mean, this is I, that was a. I mean, there's first of all, I mean, I wanted the answer from your mouth. I mean, everybody everybody's going to have a different angle to look at this stuff, and I, and what you're saying is overlapping with what I'm learning more and more as I sort of dig into this and, and sort of reassess what it is I learned that there were a million factors from, like you said, the U S Navy, um, the slave trade in, in, in the Caribbean, Christopher Columbus, Sir Walter Raleigh, like all of the, you know, everything had some way of, of contributing to this. Uh, and when I talk to my students at Princeton, they have to write a paper about like how they see, why the steel band in Trinidad again, why didn't it come up and why it wasn't it invented in London, you know, and from in taking in all of the cultural contexts that were world war two Hitler, like all of this stuff had something to do with why we're playing steel band at Princeton or why the Separia Deltones have a now have an educational program and you're part of that lineage now. And to me, I think the sort of messy answer is the best answer. It's like, yeah, there's, you can't just say Ellie Manette found an oil drum one day. Like that's not, I mean, that's part of the thing, but there's 4,000 other things that contributed to Ellie Manette or Winston, uh, uh, Spree Simon or any of these folks that, that helped to develop this instrument that we are now that's sitting behind me, you know? 
And um, so anyway, that's a I, I really appreciated that answer. And I kind of I want to take it back to your family. What did your mom do? My mom basically raised us, you know. Mm-hmm. And she, she didn't work like that, you know. She basically was a housewife, and you know that's basically a simple woman, you know, instilling good morals and and um, attributing to her children and, and managing a home, you know. And with four diverse children as we were and are. I think her job was even a way more difficult than that my dad's. <laughs> I think I, I think every woman who's listening, every mother who's listening to this podcast right now is like, say it again for the people in the back. You know, like <laughs> Yeah man. Yeah man. Yeah man, for sure. For sure. You know, and that's that's been a, a real support, you know. I mean, up till now, up till now, my you know, my biggest support, you know, um, that this function is definitely my mother and my father and my entire family. Yeah. But um, you know, I, I want to talk. I'm speaking about my mother. You know, is she is she a musician? Did she grow up playing music? Nah, no music. Nah, she didn't really play music like that. What was her What was her main interest? Like when you when you guys weren't um, when you guys weren't around and she sort of had just like time to herself. What was the thing she did when no one was around? Um, I don't think she had time like that. I don't think she hmm. had a uh, no one around time and she just to herself. I mean, I because you remember my house. I mean. It, if the church is not around, there's some level of community activity happening at the house. Mm. Or oh, my father, he had this, like a, like a young architect community institute at our home. You know, we almost sometimes take some guys off the streets. And um, in a year or two time, you know, they were designing homes for people throughout the region and that kind of thing. So, you know, the, 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 the house was so diverse and full of activity. I don't think there were much time where, you know, she had, like, this entire, you know, free space to hmm. explore whatever. I think, you know, she was just totally vested into development of her family. Well, and I also don't want to be presumptuous. Maybe that was the thing that she did when no one was looking. Like that was her that was her passion, you know. So I, I don't want to assume that that's not something that somebody would be like, no, that's what I I loved raising kids. I love being a part of a house yeah. that had all of this activity, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, when you, you know, I I think the first time I came across you, um, and again, just to, so everybody's listening, um, knows you and I have never met personally. This is the first time we've ever spoken. But where I met you was online, and I saw a video came across my feed because I I followed Ellie Manette, you know, since I was in high school, and it was a video of Ellie sitting behind you and you playing, I think, double seconds, either double seconds or double tenors, and you were just shredding, 
like absolutely shredding like in the first way like i remember seeing boogsy sharp play for the first time and i was just like what in the hell like i did not know know somebody could do that on that instrument and ellie sort of had a similar look on his face of like what <laughs> what am i seeing and hearing right now um who were some of your like maybe can you tell me a little bit about that video like what what got you in the room with ellie and sort of who have been i mean he maybe i'm presuming something here but clearly he's an influence but like who were your biggest steel pan musicians that you were looking up to as a kid growing up and trying to maybe emulate is the wrong word, but um, sort of figure out the secret to their sauce, like how they were doing what they were doing. Who were those folks for you growing up? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I love Earl Rodney. Oh, he's such a sweet player. Goodness. Yeah, I was at his home just last week. How's he doing? Started to be... Yeah, he's good. Good, good, good. Full of energy and full of life. Um, Boogie, for sure. I saw some Boogie Shop videos and... Because we had very limited TV time in my father's house. My father... He didn't like anything of his strength sitting watching television all day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our TV time was very much scheduled. And um, I would always take my TV time looking at Boogie Sharp videos and some um, video cassettes that I, um, I had of them. As a child, I'm talking 15 and below. Mm-hmm. Every single day I looked at um, Boogie you know, cassettes, you know. But then, I've, obviously, my main mentor would have been Mr. Carlton Zander. Mm-hmm. Don't matter. Pan, yeah, my thought is, play Pan before Delta. I would have listened to him play a lot, as a piano player. Mm-hmm. I think my style of playing, very much so, speaks to the technical process of a, you know, a piano player playing, you know, where he, of course, improvises on the right hand, you know, but uses the, I would say, left hand to bring uh, definition to his grammar, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to see that his um, verbs and adjectives and nouns and pronouns and and this punctuation marks become more um, defined, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, um, I employ that kind of concept of playing from playing with Clive Zander, Zand- and of course, playing a lot with his brother as well, Clive Zander, you know, in a serious thing. Um, but a steel pan influences. Definitely Clive Zadley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely Clive Zadley. But to be quite honest, I grew up listening way more musicians that were not steel pan players. Oh, you were honest about that? No, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so like I listen to a lot of Joel Coltrane, mm-hmm. a lot of Woody Hancock, mm-hmm. a lot of um, Atitum, Miles Davis, um, Oscar Peterson, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so many others. I mean, when I say listen to them, not a by the way listen, like I would have, oh, well, I must say, growing up as well, I think when I was about 13 or 14, my mother also migrated to the States. She eventually settled in Boston. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's back, she's back home now, probably for the past six or seven years. So growing up in the States, you know, many holidays we have been in Boston. Mm. And um, Berkeley's College was my, my playground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't have an interest to go to the mall, to the movies, to the nothing. I just went to the Brooklyn's every day. And then in the summer times, we have all these programs going on. I've never officially enrolled into any program there, like at Brooklyn. But I was just in the environment a lot. You know, going by the steel pan faculty, meeting the guys there. I'm just so you know, you know how it is there. I'm sure I've been there a lot, you know, that's going to the compound and um, that kind of thing. Well, so I being at Berkeley, no, go hmm? ahead, go ahead, please. Sorry, I just was going to say, being at Berkeley was also a real influence for me. And I am, um, I would go to the bookstores and buy so many biography type books of mm-hmm. all these people that I was listening mm-hmm. to hear their story, to read of their process. I want to like just put a highlight something you just said as a like you you know like you weren't enrolled at at the college Berkeley College of Music but you were in the environment and you basically treated yourself as a student at Berkeley whether or not Berkeley had you on the rolls didn't matter like to me that's the thing I, I feel like the most interesting people I know in my life. There's another, this is this uh, video artist and an electronic musician named Martin Schmidt. And he plays with a duo called Matmos and they're, they're based in Baltimore. They're from San Francisco. Initially, Martin would just sleep in his car and just show up to classes as if he was a student and just take video classes. And nobody said anything to him. He, they didn't know, like he would just show up, raise his hand, ask questions and then leave. And he slept in his car. And I just think like, he may have gotten the best education from there, better education than almost anybody else who paid who paid to go there and was like, yes, I'm in a dorm now, like all of those things. Because he was there for the reason that educational institutions are built, which are to be a like fermenting ground for all of this different knowledge. And you can, you know, anyway, I just, I really appreciated the way you sort of think about that time at Berkeley. Like I wish every student approached their time at NYU or Princeton in the exact same way. Um, as you're talking about influences, um, I want to, I want to sort of steer us a little bit towards the. And I apologize for saying the name of your town wrong. Saparia Deltones. Um, you know, my first experience with a steel band, a steel band in Trinidad, was was driving in a taxi, going past Invaders Yard on my way to Phase Two's yard. As like I was 22 years old, and I just heard this like, 
like this wall of sound come out from an alley. And then we drove by and it went away. And I was like, what was that? And then we turn the corner and we go down, you know, Damien street and we turn on to, to go to, to phase two's yard. We go to phase two's yard and I walk in and I just, my whole world was flipped upside down. And I'm curious for you, like being a part of the Separia Deltones now and, and, and what, what was, when was that moment for you or did you have that moment or was it a slow build? And now that like, it was just all obvious to you the whole time. Like I had been playing steel drum since I was in high school and I was like, Oh my God, I I haven't actually been playing steel pan. <laughs> like this is this I'm home now, you know? I think that moment for me happened around the age of nine. Mm-hmm. I think at that point in time, there was still a lot of stigma surrounding the steel band and steel band men. Mm-hmm. You know, as a as a possible, I would say, location to foster gang activity and um, gang type ideologies on the whole. So many children, many parents, sorry, did not allow for their children to freely go to the pond. Yeah, like that. And can you just can you just say out loud, like say the obvious thing? Why? Why would why was that a thing? I mean, yeah, for, for that reason I just said that. Um, okay, okay, like 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 from from a statistical data standpoint, there be a lot of people in the band with. Running through the law and you know, mm-hmm. unknown, unknown to the police for whatever activity or not. Um, but the high use of marijuana and and, and, the, and the compound, which which back then marijuana, I think, was a way more serious thing to the law enforcement agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of other things that could be deemed social ills, you know. You know, so you know, so a lot of parents then allow that free flow of their children going to the panyard. I mean, presently now that has really changed one hundred percent. You know, that 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 probably don't exist at all again. You know, but I remember my father taking me to the um panyard one night. There's some panorama practice was going on at the tones, I was about age nine. And I know that feeling like, like I didn't want to change the clothes that I went there in. And I wish I could have not changed that clothes, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I wish I didn't have to go and sleep. Like, like I fear that that effect at that moment to go away by doing something, like having a bath or changing my clothes or sleeping. And, because on Sunday, I remember going to school the other day and boasting to all my friends that, hey, I was by Delta in Spaniard last night. I was by Delta in Spaniard. I actually walked on the ground of Delta in Spaniard. And look at the players play them. I'm feeling speaking. And I was inhaling the same air that they were inhaling for a couple of minutes. Seriously, it was like that much of a moment. 
and it never died, you know. Till the day that I was actually invited to play by tunes at the age of 13. And it was a, it was like a gift. <laughs> Everything, the way you talk about it, um, is sort of giving me goosebumps a little bit because I have been trying to find the words to say what I've, you know, you know, the last three years we've been in COVID um, and it's been, there's been a lot of talk of, you know, staying away from people and don't, don't hug and don't do, you know, all of this stuff. And I think the thing that I felt like I realized now that I missed the most was the sort of sacred space. You can call it a church. You can call it a community center. You can call it a refuge. You can call it a sanctuary um, of the of the Panyard. There's no other place in my life, personally. I've played at Carnegie Hall. I've played at you know Lincoln Center. Like I've been very fortunate. I've never felt as safe as when I'm in Crossfire Steel Steel uh, Panyard in Brooklyn. Um, oop! I lost your video there. Sorry. That's all good. I was just trying to tell a student in Texas that I'd be late for class. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'll let you... What time do you need to, to leave? No, no, no. It's fine. He's fine. Okay. You know, um, the sacred ground, uh, you know, I've just never felt as safe as I felt in Kasim's yard or in Skiffle's yard or in Phase 2's yard or in the pan yard at NYU. Like, And there's something unique about that that... I think as you just to tie it back to what you said earlier about finding your voice, you know, what happens when you free an enslaved people? What are the repercussions of 400 years of slavery? And what are the repercussions? What are the the consequences of a community demanding its voice back? And this space that initially was a place where parents weren't allowed, didn't want your kids to go because you might get in trouble with the law or be exposed to drugs or prostitution or whatever. Now, that place is a, is a church. And I, I'm just, I, you know, it just makes me yearn for, to know where this is going in 400 years from now, you know? Um, anyway, I just, that there's no question there. That was just a reaction to what you were saying. I'm sorry. I lost your, I lost your Oh, sorry. There you go. I was just saying like, the the feeling that that the panyard is a sacred space is something that has taken years and years and years and generations of struggle and blood and you know government oppression and all this stuff and i it just makes me everything you're saying makes me yearn to know man i i wish i could be around 400 years from now to know where this is where this went you know um anyway again i don't have a question it was just a reaction to what you were saying I understand. I mean, definitely, the Panyard as an institution is one of the most unique institutions in the entire world. Which, which, it, uh, which it actually bugs me when institutions do pan programs in position to the pan itself. And it's a, it's it's the and our most institutions, from my observation, I mean, correctly if I'm wrong, most of the institutions internationally that have fund programs, they merely um, adapt. I would say a, a Europe, 
Diane, com aquele amistoso, Sorry, Aquino, I think we're breaking up a little bit. Would you there, yeah, yeah, there you are. There you were saying that that the international institutions tend to sort of take a European approach to the structure of the of the of the band, and that's where I, that's where you, I lost you. Yeah, the structure of the of, of the even education programs, you know, at, at, at the various institutions. And I'm saying that the, the pan in itself has its own indigenous curriculum. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it's structured, it's, it's governance. You know, it, 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 it's, it's generally like no other. And, and for the thing to evolve, for the thing to go into that next phase of its dimension and its existence, there must be a merging between heritage and modernity. Mm. Employing modernity to have that constant relevance to current society. But the heritage of the thing is that which gives it root, that which gives it gravity. And is finding that equilibrium point for the both. And that equilibrium point is now. <laughs> that meeting point, that center point, as it meets at the center, that point of balance is now. And um, that is what our, I would say, ideological platform sits upon at, at um, Delta. Um, it's a constant merging of the uh, heritage and modernity. But, but, but why the heritage? So that your curriculum structure, your process will, will be built out of the thing itself. Mm. And, it, and you cannot build it out of something else. And, 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 and too often we do that. Yeah. But it's about something else. And we just end up using the pan as a mere tool. No, the thing must be built out of pan itself. What is pan? Pan is heritage. What is pan? Pan is fashion. What is pan? Pan is, pan is art and craft. What is pan? Pan is agriculture. What is pan? Pan is innovation. What is pan? Pan is entry. Entrepreneurship. What is pan? Pan is science of music. What is pan? Pan is... So if these are not the components that we built in our educational program from, we just built it out as something else and just use the pan as a mere tool. I totally agree. And and um, you, you've mentioned the word evolution several times. And in my... I, I love science. I love evolutionary biology and just sort of learning how we got to where we got to. And, you know, there's a lot of people who have no problem commenting on things and saying things and having opinions where there's a shortage is people who are actually willing to take the next step and act on something and try something new. And that's the newness is where, like you said, modernity meeting heritage, taking a risk, taking, having, trying, trying something out, experimenting. Um, 
and that's why I reached out to you. Uh, you know, yes, you're a great player. You have a great vibe online, but your specific willingness with the Separia Deltones in your educational program with the youth was something to me that was like, okay, this guy is not willing to just sit on his hands and have opinions. You're trying things out. And I, w- I would love for you to talk a little bit about your sort of educational approach to the Separia Deltones uh, youth program. And in specific, like, why, again, why you? Why not, why not sit back and comment on somebody else's educational programs? What specifically can only a Kinolo Senin do uh, with this program? And why are you doing it? I mean, I, first, I, I don't think there's nothing specific that I can do alone in isolation. I think anything I can do, anybody can do it if they so desire to. Um, so for me, I mean, there's nothing special about me in that regard at all. I mean, if, if anything special is, 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 a, is an awareness that I would have gained, you know, via the, my experiences that I have had, I had in this physical existence thus, thus far. So I mean, that may be something that set me aside. But you know, I, I really don't think of myself as a, I don't know, like a God gift to the world or anything like that. No, I, I didn't want to, sorry, I didn't want to imply that 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 puts you on a, pe- a weird pedestal. But I, you know, it's like you look at Ellie Minette. Like he could have sat back and waited to see what everybody else was doing, and then just said, "That's not going to work. That's not going to work," and then not actually taken the next step to build the Barracuda Pan, you know, or whatever it was in his life that let like there's a there there are levels to the game, and like there are many people who talk about education. But you are actually someone who's decided to wake up today, and out of respect for your time and your students, I don't want to keep you from your students, given all the, the how important I feel like this is. But like you, you're actually taking, you're not doing something else. You're doing this, and to me, that's something I just want to like. I want to push back a little bit. That is special. That's unique right now, and and I want to sort of like pick your brain so that folks understand a how easy it is to actually just take that step, but also how scary it can be. And I'm curious for you, like, what do you, where do you see this Separia Deltones program? Like, what do you want to see out of it in the long run? 400 years from now, what are you hoping comes out? What I hope it comes out is that the Separia Deltones module becomes a normal module that everybody else does. <laughs> that everybody else is looking towards self-sufficiency, that everyone else has a, A, a curriculum that 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 was it out of the past fully exploits <laughs> and fully uh, I would say capitalize on 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 our beloved instrument that everyone else allows the fire deltones to be a, a institute of mentorship and not if take the entire module but take pages out of it at least and, and make it applicable to your own space and time. I mean look look just for example Coming out of our agri program, because I mean, I definitely will need to come back to you sometime and talk to, talk to you about some of this in a lot more detail. But coming out of our agri program was birthed our NGO called Y Farm. Y Farm today is an internationally celebrated agricultural NGO dealing with um, um, youth awareness in agriculture globally. I mean, I cannot think of a
a place in the world that white man has not conducted some level of now thing. And as I said, it's, it's celebrated in many spaces internationally. Coming out of our upcycling program was also an upcycling company called Palace Village. You know, where you know, they used to make a sort of furniture, crafts, and all the different things that they, that they make. And today, it's already been shipped across the region. And very soon, coming out of our tourism and heritage venture, we were, we were awarded the best tourism village of the entire Caribbean last two weeks. <laughs> mm. uh, well, congratulations. So, um, thank you, thank you. On April the 4th, we are about to release uh, Al. Album with international legend and superstar, Hugh Masekula and Marshall Man. So, we we have already gone past the phase of we are trying to different the world. I mean, we have the data to show that, 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 it, that it has been working. I mean, is it any... ...close to what we wanted to be, to the, to the IV module, not even 40. But by the grace of God... I'm sure the passage of time, all my students and um, some well-wishers and parents on the way to... Um, I report waterfall right now. Um, I wasn't able to join them just yet because I have the podcast ability, which I, which I felt was very important and I could not have tell you for another week that I can do it. And then I have two other classes to do. And then I have to complete a report um, for a very, very important deadline that we have tomorrow. And then after I can go and engage in, uh, with the rest of students with, at this after panorama cool dog is sort of deal it, you know? So it's well, constantly evolving daily, constantly being about it, constantly, you know, being critical to self and being critical to space and allowing that criticism to um to 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 to, to foster development. Well, I'm now having a massive wave of Catholic guilt uh, for keeping you from your students right now. So I will I let I want to wrap this up um, on their behalf. Um, and just uh, Akinola, I I'm very grateful for you for taking this time. Uh, and I will I will um, just simply I, sorry I wasn't ignoring you either. I was writing down stuff because I I, I you know I learned a ton today. So I just. Simply put, thank you. Thank you for your time, and thank you for your educational mission. Uh, I hope the next time I'm Trinidad, we can get together, and I can buy you some some roti and, and an apple jay, and we can sit and talk more in person. Um, but please, please, please give my love to the to Separia Deltones, and I, I don't think so. That. <laughs> okay, well then, uh, a cran water or or a water, whatever, it is. <laughs> whatever, whatever it is that suits your fancy. Um, your time here is 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 super valuable to me, and I, I'm very grateful for it. And my students will benefit from hearing from you. Um, and I hope that it changes. It just bumps a few people in a different direction hearing this podcast. Um, just to wrap up, where is there some place online if folks wanted to learn more specifically about what it is you're doing and in, in your educational mission in the Separia Deltones and their history? Um, where could they go? Where could they go first? There's Delton Saparia Facebook, 
there's Kusumeda Movement Facebook, there's YFAM Facebook, Let's Build It Facebook. Um, all the things that I've just mentioned as well is also available on um, Instagram. Okay. Um, in the process of amalgamating everything into our website, um, we didn't want the website to be just like any other website. So, you know, we have been building it for quite some time and very soon that we will be released. Um, I want to say as well, you know, we have a global cultural exchange um, project that we do. And I definitely would like to do that project sometime at your school and your institution. Um, I mean, just listening to some of your views this morning, I, I, I think it will definitely be a great fit. You know, um, um, I, think, I think you know one of my students at Skipperbunch, Christian. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, he plays seconds. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was, I, I worked with, I first met him in 2020 when we did Wrong Again, and I was like, who is this young kid just out here shredding it, like, playing circles around everybody, and then I now, I saw him again this past year whenever we were down there um, for playing Burn Dem, and I was like, and he had facial hair, and I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> you're an adult then now, then, what's happening? <laughs> and then there's, I don't know if you know them, then there's Abdesha Luke, she plays bass. Uh-huh. There's Sasha Paul, Chinese, she plays bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a couple, yeah. of, students. Have a couple of students as well that plays with Skipper Bunch. Oh, my God, Sasha. Yeah, I, oh, my God. Anyway, we listen, what I love about conversations with people that I don't know is it turns out I know them. You know, it turns out we actually do know each other just through other people. And, man, I really appreciate your time. I will let you go. Um, please stay safe and play, stay healthy. And let's definitely offline, let's scheme about bringing you up to Princeton and NYU at some point. Um, I had Olatunji Yearwood come in the fall, um, and he absolutely blew the students' minds singing some Calypso stuff and talking about the history of Calypso music. And so I definitely want to make that happen. So let's keep scheming about that. But in the meantime, thank you so much. Stay healthy and stay safe, and we'll talk soon, okay? Thank you, my brother. All right, take it easy. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum. Liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, My good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check him out. Liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy. Dunleavypans.com. D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on. uh, And so percussion as well as at NYU and Princeton. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing tuner, builder, um, just a really nice guy, very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, uh, want to learn more about the goings-on uh, in pan in Brooklyn, check out paninmotion.com. My good friend Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com. Check them out. And finally, Aliandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan centric. You can check him out at mango chow, C-H-O-W, clothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. Mango chow, clothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>